Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Trust and Believe. I'm your host, Shanti. I'm so excited about today's interview. I met this really, really cool guy at the gym, and I didn't know that this story was so impactful just by meeting him at the gym. And so today we're going to enhance your ability to overcome limiting beliefs. And we all experience that things get in our way. There are barriers that get in our way every day. And if we let them control our lives, we don't move forward. Jason Nichols is a personal trainer who overcame a traumatic childhood that led him to 10 and a half years of incarceration, at just 18 years old. Today, he focuses on helping others take charge of their lives and overcome their limiting beliefs through personal training and outdoor activities. Jason's story is a powerful testament to the resilience of the human spirit and the power of positive thinking. So get ready to trust and believe. Somebody say again. No, no, no. What's up? This is Sean T, and it's time to trust and believe. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Jason, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so honored to be here. Thank you so much. I'm going to jump right in because your story is really powerful and what you've managed to overcome, specifically mental, and I point to my arm because I always say conquer your mind. Your mental power is so amazing. But I just wanted to dive in because there's something that I'm extremely passionate about that I experienced in my life that so many kids experience in their life when, they're, when they leave their home and, and the safe of their parents or guardians, which is bullying. Can you just talk about that experience that you've had with bullying? Yep, uh, absolutely. I mean, you just said something really important that hits to me. You said the safeness of their home. Not to say I didn't have a safe home. My, my mom tried her best to do whatever she could to help me, but I grew up with a split up parents. My parents split. I was two. I was a fat little redheaded kid. There's no other way to put it besides, you know, I was extremely overweight. I was two foot taller than every other kid in class. I was uh, too big for my body and basically got bullied everywhere I went. My mom, she tried her hardest. So my dad moved, moved to Arizona. You know, like I said, I was two years old. I have one older brother. He's five years older than me. And living with my mom, she tried so hard. She put me in soccer and baseball and swim team and all the sports and activities, but she was always working. She was always away. 
So when I was home, that, that safe space was me chasing around my older brother. And like I said, he was five years older. So he was doing all the little bad kid things. We were running and going smoking cigarettes in the, in the park across the street kind of thing. And just, there was no real like safe harmony kind of space. And when I would go to school and things like that, it was just, I'm fat, I'm redheaded. I get sunburned really bad. You know, I used to get cold sores really bad and just all these things kids would pick on me about. And it, it killed me because not only was it hurtful, but it was true. So like they would tell me, oh, you're fat. No, you have terrible clothes or you're sunburned and you look like a lobster and, you know, my cold sores and things like that. It was like every single thing they bullied me about was true. So there was nowhere for me to really run and get away from it. It had turned into so much self-hatred for myself because, mm. you know, I first day of school, come in all sunburnt and like now I'm lobster for the rest of the year. That's the nickname they give me. And it just there's no getting away from it. You know, when they're making, like I said, when they're making fun of me about these things, it's like, it's so true. And not that I hated my mom or anything like that, but it was just, I hated the world. It was like anywhere I went, I just wasn't safe. I wasn't comfortable. If I got in trouble at school, I would come home and I'm getting yelled at and getting punished for whatever bad behavior I did. And it just long nightmarish of a story that it just overwhelmed until like eventually at 18, like I said, I went to prison and I don't want any sympathy for my story. I don't want to say anything was bad. I'm actually very blessed and thankful for every piece of what happened to me, but it, it was hard. It was really hard because left and right, getting into trouble. And it, it always turned into aggression and anger. Like I was the kid that would get yelled at, get bullied, I had nothing to fight back verbally because everything they said was true. So when, when the confrontation would come, I would just bottle up and freak out, throw the desk, run across the room, run out of the classroom, just wiling out like a little crazy eight-year-old, nine-year-old, 10-year-old kid. And there was just no escaping it for me because once that happened, I come back to school the next day or the next week after my suspension and here the just was really wild about that is number one hearing that you were so young and you know having experienced bullying myself like I wasn't throwing desks I was throwing people like you know and and so and the reason why you feel that way is because it's kind of like I don't know what they say like a like when you when you trap an animal exactly like there's only one way out the one way is aggression and you know hate like you said and you you just you just want to fight, mm -hmm. and I think that especially in today's time, and especially back when you know I was younger. I don't know how old you are, but for sure when you were younger too. And this is one of the reasons why I'm nervous about Mike going to school because you're like, who's controlling this? And and people say, well, kids will be kids, and I'm like, when you get older, and the foundation of who you are. And the foundation of what you experience is that kind of turmoil. You become a bad kid, but there was no one there to help you through that. There's no one taking control of, you know, this situation. You know, where you have how many teachers in the school? You have the, the principal, the vice principal, you have a nurse, you have all these people that's not taking control. One, thank you for sharing that because it's not easy to share that. And, you know, some something that you said. I get it. I understand what you mean. You're like, you, you were overweight kid, 
you're redhead, you're really red because of sunburn. But it's really like it was physically true what they were saying, like these things. But like I just want for people out there who feel like they're bullied, like it doesn't discount the beauty of a person, mm -hmm. you know. And I think that's in a way what's wrong with society. And I know we'll get into fitness later and stuff, but. I think that it's very rare for most people to look on the inside and like, even when you, you know, when you meet your girlfriend or when I met my husband or whatever, you know, the first thing we see is outer beauty, but there's like, it is the first thing people see, but then people don't pay attention to that inner beauty. So I just wanted to talk about foundationally, that is really, really tough to go through and no one's actually paying attention to who you really are, you know? So when you get to a point, which I want to talk about you're 18 years old and then shit hits the fan for lack of a better way. It's like, yeah, I have to suffer these consequences for my behavior, but there was no one to help me out. And that's why I like to tell parents out there, like you have to, as best you can be in your child's life, understand what's going on, check their Instagram. Cause that bullying shit is real. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to say that, but you may continue. So what happened at 18? Well, I mean, there was a lot that added up to that. Let's so go. Uh, like you were just saying, people only looking on the outside and my inside was dying as well. So countless problems left and right. There were so many people that tried to help me. That was kind of the problem was left and right. My mom, like she, like I said, she was trying so hard. And my dad, eventually when I moved, uh, moved out here to Arizona to live with them, they tried so hard. I had a couple special teachers in school that, that would really try to help me, but because I had such a hatred for myself that obviously I've overcome, but at that time I was hating myself so much of suicidal thoughts. Anytime somebody would try to help me, it would only make me feel worse because I didn't believe I was worth it. I didn't believe I was worth this person taking time to take me out on his fishing boat and try, you know, things like that. Yeah. My whoever trying to counsel me about this, I just, I didn't believe I was worth it. The more somebody tried to help me, the more my suicidal thoughts came. Because, you know, now I just felt like a burden to this person. And, you know, over the years, I, I went to juvenile behavior modification programs, juvenile hall, boot camps, all anger management, juvenile rehabs, all sorts of madness. And eventually I came 17 and started committing adult crimes and they, they locked me up. But in that, that whole cycle, it was... The violence, like you said, where you started throwing bodies around, that's what happened to me around high school time. So as a kid, I would just throw the desk, panic, run out the room, grab my book bag and strangle myself with it, stupid things like that, and create a big scene. Middle school, high school time, that that's when, you know, kids would bully me and I'd pick them up and slam them. I, I end up doing some bad things on accident, not trying to say I didn't deserve it or wasn't my fault, but like I broke a kid's arm by kicking them off the the jungle gym on the playground. He knocked the hat off the back of my head. I chased him down. He slipped. I started kicking him and he went to brace himself, broke his arm. Um, that got me in a world of trouble. A year later, I body slam a kid, bounce his head off the concrete. He gets a, a concussion or whatever. That got me in a world of trouble, like getting kicked out of every single school I went to. I, I was left and right. When I moved to Arizona, I, I got my dad kicked out of so many places to live from just violence like what I was saying. Fast forward, skipping a whole bunch of other crazy bad stories. I was 17, 17, 18-ish, and I was just doing so many bad things. I had already moved out of my parents' house. I was working working two jobs as a cook 
and dishwasher. And I thought I was untouchable. I was making all this money, living on my own, buying my own vehicles. But, you know, the problem came with my circle of friends. We were all smoking weed and drinking alcohol and doing mushrooms and, and partying like little kids or like adults as little kids and end up getting in a, a huge fight. Well, I didn't get into it. We were at a desert party and my, my friend was getting jumped by a group of guys and all these guys were adults. We were all kids, 17 little high school kids. And uh, this group of guys were jumping them. And as they jumped him, my girlfriend went to break it up at the time. And the guy turned around and hit her in the mouth with a rock. Um, ended up splitting her lip. She got 19 stitches through her lip, chipped her tooth, something crazy. It just obliterated her lip. I found out about it. You know, a couple weeks went by. We finally found out where these guys were. And I just wild out. I was drunk. I got in a fight with my girlfriend that day. And so I took off and uh, went over there, got in a crazy fight and ended up shooting at him. Um, and I didn't actually shoot at them, but I ended up shooting at the house after I left him. The next thing I know, I'm getting arrested. Uh, they they stuck me for 10 and a half years, aggravated assault with a deadly weapon and drive-by shooting because I fired a couple rounds out of the truck. That's when things got real. One of the biggest, best blessings ever was going to prison. Nobody could tell me what to do. You know, you know, anytime somebody would try to give me feedback or, or try to show me where I could improve, I would instantly take it as they were bullying me. I would instantly, mm. and, and it still happens to me a little bit today. I have to check myself on it constantly, but... As a kid, I didn't understand how to check myself where somebody would just try to tell me something. And, yeah. and I was in a state of nobody could tell me anything. And I would instantly shell up and go against whatever they would say and just while out the other way. Um, when I got into prison, I, I was a little 18 year old kid. I was ready to rumble. You know, I got DGAF, don't give a uh, tattooed across my chest in big three inch letters, a huge anarchy sign, anarchy sign on my hand. And you I got these in prison? In prison. Yeah. And my whole thought was I wanted to be like, I wanted people to know. I wanted to be the beacon. Like, oh, don't mess with that kid. Because in prison, the youngsters not so much get messed with, but they get messed with. You know, they got certain rules they got to follow. You know, they're the, the grunts doing all the whatnot. And I wanted to come in there and like set a standard was getting into fights left and right over dumb things, playing cards with people and and, oh, you said that to me, let's go and getting into fights. And eventually I uh, got into a riot. Not is no fault of my own, but, you know, prison in Arizona is segregated by races. So Mexicans run together, whites run together, blacks run together. It's very, very racially segregated. And uh, the Mexicans and the white got into a skirmish and I happened to get wrapped up in it. They locked me down to maximum custody. I was about 20 years old at the time and I got sent to Florence Central Unit five yard maximum security. When I was there, I ended up uh, getting forced to uh, kind of run what they call a mission where as a younger person, you know, as a white person in the white gang, I would have to do whatever is called upon. If there was a piece of crap, like a rapist or a child molester or something like that, they get beat up. They get ran off the yard. Sometimes they even die. And I got called to, to run a mission on somebody because we we're in lockdown. Uh, my cell was the only cell next to this guy that could reach this guy. Did this little little skirmish thing, and I got sent to maximum, maximum security. I got sent to the whole of the five yard of the maximum security. And a day came around where I basically like looked around and said, like, how is this it for me? Like, how is this my life? And, you know, cells where you could literally reach out, put both hands, palms on the wall, and 
I'm looking around like, why, why is this it? No contact with humans, literally go from one cage to the next cage. Like if I wanted to go to the shower, I would stick my hands out the traps. They would, they would handcuff me. They would open up the door, walk me to the shower. The shower was just another cage. Stick my hands out the trap. They would uncuff me. You know, I'd take my shower as I went to leave, stick my hands back out the trap. They would cuff me, walk me upstairs. Same thing if I wanted to go to visitation, if I wanted to go to medical, if, if I went out to wreck, it was all one cage to the next cage. And at this time, I've, I've now turned 21 and I'm just sitting there looking at my life and all the suicidal thoughts start coming back. I'm like, how is this it for me? Like, why do I always end up in situations like this? Like, is this really how my legacy is my story? Is this really it for me? Mm. And uh, that's where you come in. You know, um, here goes insanity and P90X infomercials. And like I said, I'm overweight at the time. And I've been working out a little bit, you know, push-ups and things like that. And in in jail, insanity is is the way to go. It, you know, you have no equipment, you got your six by six cell or whatever it is. Like, let's let's go. High knees and shadow punch and burpee. Like, <laughs> yes. I, I remember I would I would I don't remember the times they would come on, but I would set reminders for when when your infomercials came on so I could try to steal pieces of information. And like we steal exercises and, and doing high knees and just watch watching your abs as you're sitting there doing high knees. I had a little mirror. You get these little plastic mirrors in prison and I could start seeing my abs as my fat was jiggling down and I could start seeing my abs doing high knees and I would just go crazy with it. I made that decision like this isn't going to be it for me anymore. It's all going to start with my fitness and health because like I said in my earlier childhood, it was self-hatred. Mm -hmm. Like no other way to put it besides I hated everything about me. I hated how overweight I was and so I decided, like, it's all going to start with my fitness. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to get in shape. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Talked to my mom and she ended up getting me a, a certification as a personal trainer. She ordered the course for me um, through ISSA. While you were in prison. While I was in lockdown. I didn't even have nothing at the time. She got me textbooks through ISSA, the International Sports Science Association. I had, or she ordered me another body sculpting Bible for men. I was reading all the, or she had, a, she got me a subscription for men's health. Like my mom saved my life. Like Aww. I owe my, my real mom, like so much. I, that's a story for another day, but she, she saved my life. I would get all these courses and all these books and all this lit, all this material. And all I would do is sit in my cell and start digging through it, going after it. You know, like I said, stealing all, every little bit I could off, off your commercials and off the P90X infomercials, <laughs> taking whatever I could. And then I started getting into real education. I got my first scholarship, did an English 101 course, and just really started turning around because at this time, I'm not even halfway through my prison sentence. That's what I was going to ask you. You're yeah, still there. Baby. Right? Yep. So I started my prison sentence, wiling out, fighting drugs, all that stupidness, tattoos, everything I shouldn't be doing, lockdown, max security. And then from there is when I was like, okay, 
it's just done. It's over. No more of this life. Um, and my big thought was when I got out of maximum security, I was going to have to work my way down the yards. And I never wanted to get put in the situation of I need to get called on for a mission again. Because if, uh, if I get called for a mission, if I go and, and I don't do the mission, now I'm the yeah. bad guy. Yeah. Right. And I would much rather, as dumb as this sounds, I'd much rather the police officers slam me down, put another two years on my prison sentence versus have every white person on the yard think I'm the piece of crap now and I only have three years left or whatever and have to live that three years as that piece of crap. Because now you're watching your back the whole time. Over, Well, probably wouldn't even watch my back. If that happened, I would have to go to solitary confinement forever because they're going to beat me up. Yeah. You know? um, so obviously that didn't happen, but I never wanted to be in that situation again. And a big thing in that racial community, however you want to call it, I'm not talking bad about anybody. I'm not saying it's good and bad or ugly. It's just what it is. But in that community, the big thing is being a strong stand-up example of a white boy or of a Mexican or of a, you know what I mean? Being a strong representation of your race. They want that power. So coming out, I was like, you know, I'm doing school. I'm working on my certifications. Like, this is my life now. Here's my goals. Here's my vision board. Here's my everything. This is what I'm about. You could take that fighting and, and go find somebody else. You know, go find the other little youngster. Because at this time, getting out of there, I was also no longer the youngster youngster. I was no longer the 18-year-old, the 19-year-old. Now coming down, working my way through the yards, the four-yard, three-yard, two-yards, 22, 25. You know, I'm starting to become older. Um, and eventually, I worked my way down to a minimum custody yard. And as crazy as it sounds, it was one of the one of the highlights of my life almost because I I took full ownership of my awesomeness, I guess you would say. Let's go. <laughs> like I, I spent four years on this minimum custody yard called Whetstone in Tucson, Arizona, but doing all my studying. So I'm deep into college now. And I was trying to set an example. You know, if if young young white people or young Mexican, whoever, whoever is on that prison, instead of going to do drugs and going to do whatever dumb stuff they're doing. But I'm there as an example in my textbooks studying. I would go work my state pay job that they give me. And I would go work out same time every single day, same workout station. It was like everybody on the yard knew me and my workout crew were going to be there. So yeah. were you teaching classes? Yeah. Well, it wasn't so much classes. Uh, I got, I ended up, I would have to get approval to get all my uh, certificate or not certifications, but textbooks and, and course material sent in. So every administrator, like, COs on the yard they knew who I was this fitness guy I was training uh, people on the yard for commissary I was oh, building yes. them little workout programs I still have a journal of like that was my test studies the administration ended up creating something called regaining honor it was a veterans um, reform kind of program so every veteran that in prison or in Arizona we get sent to this uh, minimum custody yard if they qualified and they had all these pro these re-entry programs for them like getting jobs and things like that, just all these extra classes they would get. So the the officers on the yard reached out to me and were like, hey, we help build us a fitness program for these guys. We got 70-year-olds, all these people laying on their beds doing nothing because that's a big thing in prison. People just laying, laying there, wasting away. And they're like, will you will you come help us? And at this time, I had, I had some high-level state-paid positions. I worked in mailing property and I worked in commissary. And those are like 
the best of the best. Like I'm the one handling all the necessary, you know, all the extra snacks I want. Um, <laughs> I'm the one working in property. If, if the police contraband something from somebody, it's going to mail and property and I'm doing some illegal things, stealing it back out of there, but it was a great job to hustle and make money. So when they approached me about, will you do this fitness program? I'm like, why, you know, I'm not going to leave this job and go do this and make 25 cents an hour. But I, I ended up doing it because I, I told her, I was like, if I do this, I want this on my resume. I want to be able to get out of here and I want somebody to be able to call you and say, yes, he did that. So I ended up starting the program. It was awesome. You know, it, no other way to put it besides just awesome. I had about 20 something veterans that were working out, had two separate classes where one was the older, one was the younger guys. Younger guys were doing crazy things like muscle ups and pull ups and older guys were just walking laps and doing doing basic things yeah, yeah. but as as i was doing that i had a, a friend named shane corliss uh he's no longer with us um he died a couple years ago really great friend of mine uh he ended up getting really inspired by everything i was doing wanted to know how i got certified where i was getting my courses all that stuff and he ended up doing all all the issa classes he ended up becoming a master trainer getting like five different certifications through him but he, uh, I kind of trained him to take over the program when I left because right at the end of that, that was uh, me getting ready to leave. Like I said, it was me kind of stepping into my awesomeness. Like I was realizing like, wow, I, I am a strong, smart, intelligent person. I can impact people's lives. I can help people. I can do more than do drugs, play cards, and beat people up. And you had a purpose. Mm -hmm. You know, you found a purpose. But I think one of the biggest lessons... Uh, so far that I'm getting is, you know, trying to find peace in turmoil. Mm -hmm. Because when people are in that tornado or they're in that turmoil, whether it's, you know, a situation with you and your spouse or stress in your life or obviously being incarcerated, it's like those people who are laying, you know, laying in the bed all day. Mm -hmm. Because it's just like a true testament of how being in a space that is less than positive mm -hmm. and you know you can easily it could be easily be synonymous with quicksand right it's just like i'm already down i can keep on going down like the the fact that you were able to find a purpose yeah. you know and that is you know extraordinary it's admirable and you know you're like i'm gonna build my resume and i'm gonna you know, create something for myself in a space where most people think that creation and betterment of themselves is not possible. It's like something I really kind of want to hone in on because it's like perspective, right? There's so many people that are not incarcerated or, and it's not to say that one person's life is worse or better than another, but it definitely puts it in perspective. Well, if this person's in solitary confinement and they're in a place where they can touch both walls and you don't even have the insanity DVDs. You just have the infomercial, right? Mm -hmm. So you're like, you know, just that drive and motivation to create something from minimal mm -hmm. or close to nothing is is just incredible. Okay. So I just wanted to make reference to that. And yeah. congratulations for being in that space. Thank because, you. you know, I'm sure even though it sounds really good and things were good, it's like you said, you know, you still had to do things to kind of push yourself forward. I think one of the toughest things to hear and to kind of relate to, well, definitely relate to, because I've never been incarcerated, but it's like, you have to come out of there, show something that you're really good at while making sure that the people who are 
the head people aren't making you go back down a path that you don't want to go to. So you also have to be creative. You have to be able to communicate in a way mm -hmm. and show your worth to people who are still struggling. Yep. So like that is, you know, I mean, and that happened while you were in, you know, in the hole. Well, that's, that's the power that, that I think like really helped me in here. That power inside was, of being able to be that example in light, because one of the best lessons I ever had was going in there and listening to everybody's stories and seeing their stories. And what I mean by that is people that have been to prison for like three times, five times, and hearing all their dumb stories, not to call anybody dumb, but hearing all their stories as being, being like, I don't ever want to be that. I don't, I don't want that. To, I'm make checkbox. I'm learn learn my lesson from hearing your story. I'm never doing that. So when I was a kid, I had a lot of people that led me the wrong way in there, showed me how to get the drugs and taught me, you know what I mean? Showed me all the stupid things. So like I said, when I was coming out of there, it was like, the reason I chose to be a personal trainer was because I wanted that accountability. Mm. I wanted to make sure I never slipped again on my life. I wanted to make, you know, you can't be a fat personal trainer. You can't be a drug addict. You can't be slapping people. You can't be doing these bad things. So that's like that power of knowing that I could be that light to help somebody else. And like, not to say I was changing people's lives in there, but I mean, I sure hope I did. I believe I did and think I did. And just by holding myself to that standard constantly, I still have my vision board. I still have my journals. I still have all that stuff. Like I keep, I keep most of it with me knowing somebody was always watching me. Yeah. That's the thing in prison. It's like, you're either being watched by the camera, the police or another inmate. You're always being watched. So knowing that, yeah, they're going to study right now. They're watching me take this, highlight that, you know, read this book, go into the library to get that. They're seeing this. And every day it was like, you know, I end up selling my TV so I wouldn't be distracted. I was like, get rid of this TV. It's just me and my textbook. Not to say I'm perfect now because yeah, I still slip hard now. Yeah, but of course. I always try to remember back to that. Somebody's watching me. Somebody's watching me. Whether it's, you know, my friend, my family, my girl, my mom, my dad, my coworker, somebody is always watching me. What is my actions going to be? What's my next step? You know, like, what are you going to do now? No matter what the circumstance, whether it's good or bad, like, what are you going to do now? You're being watched. So speaking of what are you doing now? So let's talk about the transition from being incarcerated to being, you know, out free. Right. And then not only do you have this foundation of fitness and inspiring people and create, like you're creating a fitness program mm -hmm. in a prison and now you've added like outdoor enthusiasts to it. Talk about that transition and what got you to where you are now. So as much as I wish I could say like, I got out of prison and I shot off like a rocket and never turned back, <laughs> yeah. I didn't. I got out of prison. I uh, started instantly working. I had about three different jobs. I worked at a, the first restaurant that I had left um, that I was working at when I got arrested, instantly got a job there, got hired at Planet Fitness. Still to today, one of the best jobs I've had in my entire freaking life. If they would have paid me, I would have stayed there. Like they would, like they paid me like $14 an hour, but I was a free trainer for the entire gym. All I did was literally walk around the gym and help people. It was amazing. But I was doing that. I was training independently. I had clients I was training on the side um, and I got in. It was, like I said, I had my vision board. I had my step-by-step. -step, this is what I'm doing next. And I took off. Um, Started working like crazy, ended up getting, I moved in with my brother originally, a couple months after being released, got my own apartment or uh, rented a house with one of my friends, 
um, who was also incarcerated. Got a house with him, was working there, and then I ended up started working at uh, EOS Fitness. Mm. Um, and that's, that's where things kind of went bad. So I, I was so obsessed with being perfect that I wouldn't let myself admit failure anywhere. And this is a huge learning lesson that I never got in prison that I got afterwards, but I would just keep going, work myself to death, three hours of sleep, you know, working, you know, 7 a.m. till 8 p.m. every single day, except for Sunday kind of thing. And I was doing really good at EOS. Um, it was a lot of sales, sell, selling personal training, yeah. but I, I went from a trainer to assistant manager, to a manager, to a complex manager. Like I, I didn't miss a promotional step. It was like, as soon as it was ability to be promoted, I got promoted, did that for like just over two years, but I ended up collapsing, mm. full blown collapsing. And I couldn't admit I needed help because a few years ago, my big thing was I'll do this on my own. I don't need you. I don't need anybody to watch me. And I still kind of feel that a little bit, but I know it's not true, right? I know I need people. I know that uh, I'm not in this party alone and I know I'm never going to get where I want to go alone. But that was my thought getting out of prison was I can do all this because yeah. um, in prison, that's what I did, you know? And like I said, it led me to collapse. Full blown mental breakdown, drugs, alcohol, throw my life in the trash. I bought a house um, just shy of three years after getting out of prison. Bought me a, a condo in Chandler, um, had me a condo, had me a brand new Tacoma. I had, I was like, I was Mr. Untouchable. And I'm sure some of my friends will admit it that I was very uh, narcissistic, very cocky. Like arrogant. Yeah, yeah. I used to say, oh, my debit card will take care of that. I don't need to, I don't need that. You know, and I would just, next thing I know, I ran up the credit cards, all that. Like I said, I ended up luckily selling the house. COVID saved me on that. But by all means, that house should have been foreclosed on me. I threw my life away. And at the time, I knew I was throwing it away. Drugs and alcohol, drugs and alcohol, just all bad drugs. And threw everything away. COVID came around and saved my life. So I'm sorry for everybody out there if COVID affected you negatively. But that was the universe saving my life right there. Like, I can't tell you how many good things happened to me because of COVID. But... When, when that happened, I had already quit working for EOS um, and I was living in my house, basically just hiding in my, my closet, drinking and drugging myself to death. And the world got locked down and it kind of like opened my eyes up. I was already going sober, getting relapsing. I was already fighting those demons. But when the world got locked down, I was like, what the heck? Oh, what is going on here? I freaked out. I had a bunch of kayaks and stuff and I took them out took him out to the river and I was like, I'm going to go hide and camp out in the desert. Cause I thought we were about to go into apocalypse. <laughs> and as I'm out there in the desert or doing these kayaks, I was like renting kayaks to people, making a little bit of money, doing little, little tours of Verde river. And I started realizing, I'm like, Oh man, wait, I can make this my new job. I can make this my new thing. Cause watching, watching single moms with their kids, and being that guy out there helping him reminded me of so much of the the guidance and things I wish I had. And, and I could see how much I was helping that, that mom with her kid, you know, jump in. I'm not even going to charge you. Just be free. Let's go teaching the kid how to, you know, paddle and how to yeah. do all this and like little things like when we're out there, cause like I said, I was camping, you know, teach him how to light fires and just all this stuff. I was like, wow, this could be me because I always been into outdoors since I got out big into hiking and trail running and, and all that stuff. So I thought like, this is going to be me now. Now I'm going to be an adventure guide. I'm going to start doing all this kayaking, all that. It didn't quite go the way I planned because I didn't get permits. I didn't get insurance. I didn't, I was just 
You were doing it. Yeah, I was You're just being doing creative. it, right? <laughs> I was re reestablishing my life. I was literally reinventing myself um, in the, the weeks I was out there during the, the beginning of the lockdown. After getting out of there, I did a bunch of, a bunch of odd jobs and whatnot. And when I tried to start actually going official with my company, I realized like I was in over my head. I was already in a huge pile of debt, so I didn't really have the means to launch a company the right way. Um, I ended up kind of bailing out on it, giving up on it. Not so much giving up on it, but I quit trying to go official with it. I started picking up all these side jobs. And I eventually it was like, okay, I need to get more experience in the wilderness, more credibility to my name. And so I became a wildland firefighter just for a little bit. I didn't do much there. So like, I don't have much credibility there. Um, but I took off to Oregon um, to do wildland firefighting like two summers ago and just started trying to, like I said, get more involved in that outdoor community. And since then, I, I ended up coming back to Arizona because my stepmom was was going through a lot of problems. She had hip hip issues, heart issues, just all sorts of things where her and my dad needed my help back here. Mm -hmm. People were dying everywhere from COVID. So I was like, I, I need to get back home. So I came back home about a year and a half or so ago. I started working at Lifetime Fitness. Um, took off as a trainer over there for a good year, year and a half or so. And during that time, it's, I just kind of really re-squared everything way. Like I said, I sold my house. So I was living, living with my, my dad now, still am great success. <laughs> um, but no, so during that year or whatever, I found my girlfriend, you know, re, re kind of invented myself on like understanding I'm not alone in this journey. Um, was blessed to have an opportunity um, in three weeks. I'm going to move to Alaska. I got offered an opportunity as a whitewater uh, river rafting guide in Juneau, Alaska, a company called Alaska Travel Adventures. And that's my next journey is I'm heading out there in about three weeks, um, leaving with my girlfriend. And uh, I don't really know what the future is going to bring. I just know that every day I'm going to continue to do the positive things I can do. And I'm going to help as many people as that I can help. And I'm just going to continue to like, focus and, and love, love people, yeah. you know, and like be truthful and honest, quit trying to cover up things. Cause that's the big thing that always got me screwed up in my brain. It was, I was always trying to squirrel my way through things and hide this and cover up that. And I wouldn't just be open and honest and blunt about it. And now I'm just open book, clear, communicative, yeah. and just taken off. And like I said, I don't know what the, the future is going to be. I know this summer I'll be good doing six months up in Juneau, Alaska is a, a rafting guide. I'm hoping maybe I could gather some knowledge. Maybe my girlfriend's going up, is going to work in the office. Um, so if you're hearing this, babe, sorry, but I'm hoping she might get some knowledge on it. So <laughs> she'd help me run my company later on or something. I don't know, but there's, there's endless possibilities and it's just continue to help whoever I can, whenever I can. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. What's really cool is never giving up. And I think a lot of times when people see success, they think of success as like the finish line, right? It's like, I've reached success. And you can talk to, you know, any CEO or even if someone may partner at a, you know, a lawyer firm or even I can take myself, for example, I'm in therapy to like help guide myself on where I want to go. I think people don't want to admit the roller coaster ride, but that's really what life is about. And great things happen. And I think that you should definitely embrace and experience and be joyful about those high moments. But, and this is not to sound negative, but like sometimes after a really high moment comes, you know, a crash. And like I said, generally in my life, I'm good, but there's a crash happening in my life too. And it's just like internal and it's personal. It's just trying to figure it out. But I think that your story gives hope to people that feel like just because you have moments or even in some way a piece of longevity and success, there's still like a level of growth that needs to happen. And sometimes, you know, obviously not happy that you, you know, you went back to drugs and alcohol, right? It's this thing of like, but I found something else. Mm -hmm. And it's part of helping people, other people out there who may be in a situation where they are right now. And it's like, I'll never recover from this. Your story helps people like you can recover more than once. And this idea that a lot of people don't want to admit that they're not in a good place Mm -hmm. or, and I just, I just love that. It just, your story like really defines the human experience. Mm -hmm. And I know people strive to just, you know, constantly go up and up and up. I know it. And it's great. And it feels good. And, you know, you can look on social media. I look at somebody like Kim Kardashian. I know her story and we know her family and they have, you know, whatever. While she still has success and things are happening, there's still like, you know, trouble in the horizon that she has to figure out, right? And so no matter where you are, no matter how much money you have or happiness you have at this moment, there's, you know, there's always a need to find power to continue to dig through. So I want to thank you for that. All right. So I know you're going to Alaska. You're leaving Arizona. You know, I never got to train with you yet, but maybe when you come back, Mm -hmm. but when you're up there, is that going to be full time or can people train with you up there? Are you like, how are you working it out? I don't know. I believe it's going to be full time. So, um, kind of the way they put it to me is it's like strap in for the season. As soon as the season starts, it's like we're working. There's going to be overtime left and right. I'm sure I'll end up training people just because it's naturally what I do. Um, I, most of my training I do for free, honestly, like I can't tell you how much of my time I give away, but I don't, I don't care. Cause I, I love that fact of knowing I sparked and helped somebody else. So I, I know I'm going to be in a gym up there somewhere and I'm going to see somebody doing some terrible squats or ter- <laughs> terrible something. And, and I'm going to end up giving them some good advice. Um, 
I don't know if I'll actually take on clients. I still have people that I'm going to be communicating with like via, you know, the phone. It could be, we go up there and come right back and don't like it and get an apartment down here or whatever it may be. But the world, the world is open. I think when you said how planet fitness was your favorite job where you, you weren't getting paid that much, but it was your favorite job because you were walking around helping people. I think that is, in some way defines who you are in a good way. Like there's a lot of people out there who don't understand or they can't connect to the idea of giving. And you're like, this is my favorite job to go in there and be basically the free personal trainer. And you're still talking about that. When you go to a gym, you want to help people. So thank you for that. All right. I have one final question for you. You had to define trust and believe. What would your definition of trust and believe be? having faith, you know, believing, just believing in yourself and like calming down, you Mm -hmm. know, slowing down, calming down. Um, That's a big part of the journey I learned uh, after the drugs and alcohol and taking off to the river and whatnot was I had to learn to calm down, slow down, believe and trust the process. You know, as long as I'm making the right actions today, it's going to build up for something better tomorrow. You know, if I'm screwing around today, then I, I better you know, freak out a little bit. But if as long as I'm doing the right thing, I'm going to the gym today, because we all have those days where we freak out. We're like, Oh, my God, what am I doing? No, this is horrible. And it it just trust and believe, go to the gym, eat that meal prep, you know, do that meditation, do that journaling, do trust and believe, do what you know, you should do. And it's going to come together for you. And that's I, I guess that would be just do what you know, you should do. And just believe in the process. Yes. I think something amazing that Jason said was calm down. Um, I always kind of tease Chip over there who has a tattoo that says Pomalo, which means to calm down. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when he's out of control, I'm like Pomalo. But I think it helps me too. I know for a fact being married to someone who is the complete opposite of me by way of expression, emotion, and reacting to situations, I've also learned that finding a little bit of peace and calming down actually makes the river flow a little bit better and it's not as, you know, tumultuous and crazy. So I kind of love that, you know, having a definition of trust and believe being to able to calm yourself down while truly believing in what you can do. Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Uh, after last, I come back definitely, definitely to our gym so we can, yeah. uh, we haven't, we haven't worked out, I, I but you do work gym. hard. I, I do see you working hard. Oh, so <laughs> me right now, I'm like, I'm just trying to take care of my body because you had a podcast. It was about knowing when to take a rest, knowing mm. when to take a break. So I, I screwed my body up big time. Like P90X Insanity twice a day, every day. Burpees, pull-ups, just slamming through it. There are no days off, no rest days, seven days a week. And uh, I suffer from knee problems, lower back problem, hip problem. Um, and now I'm like... I need to just love my body. I need to calm down, trust the process. I don't need to go do a 500 pound squat. Mm-mm. Let me just do a couple body weight squats and single leg and just stretch and stay committed and just heal and love and trust and believe. You know what I mean? I love it. So, yeah. Thank you so much, man. Absolutely. Man. So, so blessed to be here. Thank you.